Whether you're watching online or if you're here in Crown Plaza, we are so happy that you've chosen to spend your Sunday morning, evening, afternoon, whatever time you're watching this from. And today, Jesus is happy that you're here. And, and if you haven't met it, my name is Albie and I'm part of team here at Favorite Church. And today, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach about the topic about surrender. Come on, shake the person next to you and say, surrender mo and I remember my first time, you know, when preachers think about like what's the best analogy to transition this, this sermon. And I was I remembering when was the first time I actually surrendered something. And I consider myself a professional commuter. Anyone, any commuter in the house? Like the legit ones, not the grab takers, not the joyride, not the ankas. I don't consider it commute. Tricycle, let's go. Jeepney, LRT, MRT, subway, wala pa. But it's getting there. But I started commuting when I was in grade 3. Just grade 3. Aww. But if you know my story, I took up grade 1 twice. So when I was grade 3, I was already a teenager. So <laughs> old enough. It was, I'm already old enough to commute. And I remember, so technically, from, from grade 3 up to, actually up to now, up to college, I've been commuting all my life because I choose to do it. We have a car. We have 10 cars. No, we don't. <laughs> But I consider myself a professional commuter, so I kind of know what's going on inside the jeepney. Do you guys get that? If you know something's gonna happen inside the jeepney, like you kind of, your gut says that, you know, there's a, you know, there's something's gonna happen, right? So I have that, I know it's gonna happen, I know someone's gonna take one, two, three. I know those people. I know who's not paying, I know who's not, you know, you know uh, who's always sleeping, stuff like that. And I remember when I was in college, I studied in QC, but I had to go back to Bulacan every single time. And most of the time, I would go home around really late, like 12 midnight, because I'm, I'm such a hardworking student. Club, book club, <laughs> going book club. So I have to take a bus, a jeepney, a jeepney, a tricycle. You know, and I remember there was one time I was on my second jeepney on the, on the way back home. And then, if you know Bulacan, if you know, you know stories about Bulacan, we have an airport. <laughs> no, but it's kind of scary because um, there's no light in the middle of the night. So I remember I was on the jeepney. It was so dark in that part of the area. I think there were five passengers at that time. And I've watched so much teleserie that I felt like, this is it. This is it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. But I'm hoping that it's not going to happen. Do you, have, do you, do you guys have that, uh, that moments in your life that you feel like it's going to happen, but you're hoping that it won't happen? Am I the only one? So I know. Yeah. So this, <laughs> no, okay. All the rich people say amen. <laughs> but you know what? So I know it's, something's about to happen because this guy is kind of, you know, acting weird. And then, long story short, Bring out this gun. <laughs> bring out this gun and just casually hold up to. Like in our modern language, hold up to guys. <laughs> and then, no, hold up to. And then we're like, oh my God, we were so panicked. Like we were panicking inside the Jeep. We don't know what to do. And then said, in Tagalog, of course, they don't speak, Taga they don't speak English inside the Jeep. But they said, bigay niyo sa akin lahat ng, ano yun, ng pera niyo, ng gamit niyo. 
Give me everything that you have. And then, as a broke college student, I just bought my smartphone. I need that aw. Feels so good. <laughs> so, I'm smart, so I'm already making a decision that I give out my purse, my wallet. It's like, ito kuya. Because, you know, I'm hoping that he won't know that I have a smartphone, you know. And then said, ito lang? This is it? And it's like, give me everything! Like, you know, because they were rushing. And then in my panic, I threw, I threw my bag, my entire bag to him. I was like, yeah, this is everything that I have! And I, and I failed terribly in that time because all my books and my requirements are in that bag. So it's crazy! But how crazy that I gave everything to the person that I don't know. How crazy that I gave every single valuable thing that I have to a person that scared me to death, who's operating in fear. But how come I won't give everything that I have to the King of Kings, to the Lords of Lords, to the person who created me? Are you guys hearing me? Are you guys with me? How? Why not? Why not, right? Why, why wouldn't I give everything that I have? Why wouldn't I give everything that I have in my life for the person who died for me on that cross for my sin? And the title of my sermon today is All That I Have. Come on, shake the person next to you and say, hold up though. <laughs> and tell them that you're going to give all that you, that you have later in our ministry time. If you're a legit hold dapper, God's going to encounter you in Jesus' name. Because we need sinners in this church because God's going to change them. Amen? We're going to be reading from Luke chapter 7. It's a story about a sinful woman forgiven by Jesus. And we're going to be reading from chapter 36 to 39, and we're going to jump to verse 44 to 50. Ready? 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from the city heard that Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. She knelt behind his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man, if Jesus were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And jump to 44. Then he returned to the woman and said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet. But she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss. But from the time I first came in, this woman has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven. So she has shown me so much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, can you read it with me? Your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, Who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Let's pray. Lord, I pray right now, God, that 
every single heart, every single soul be open right now, God. I pray that you would speak, Lord God, at the very core of our, our, of our life, Lord God, at the very core of our heart, God. I pray right now, God, that you, you would just speak through me, Lord God. I pray, Father, that every single person would encounter you. I pray for every single holdapper, whether it's here in this room or outside this room, that you are going to encounter them. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Amen. And when I was reading this story, I was thinking, what can we learn? What can we learn from this story? And I have three points with you. Come on, shake the person next to you and say, don't sleep. Because I'm going to call you out. So if ever there's someone sleeping beside you, just raise your hand. All right, row seven. <laughs> but point number one here, this is the uh, first thing that we can learn from the story is recognizing our sin leads to genuine repentance. Recognizing our sin leads to genuine repentance. It says here in 7, verse 37 and 39. When that certain immoral woman from the city heard Jesus was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And in 39, the Pharisees basically said that that woman is a sinner. Everybody knows that that woman is a sinner. No? That everybody knows in that city, whether you're a religious leader, whether you're a normal person, you know that that lady, that's, that woman, is a sinful person. And no surprise, the woman knows that she's also a sinner. But you know what? As a society, as a nation, and I think as a world, we, have, we currently have a problem of recognizing properly. Am I the only one? Like, it's so hard for us to recognize what's right and what's wrong because there's so many options, there's so many voices, there's so many opinions right now. So we're kind of like just stuck in the middle. I don't know if it's right. I don't know if it's wrong, right? And I have, we have a wonderful honor and privilege to be one of the pastors here at this church. We love this church so much, but the blessing and the honor and the privilege comes with, the, with a little bit of inconvenience when people tell you, about their unsolicited advice, you know? Like, you know, because the reality is we're up here on the platform all the time, you know? So everyone just kind of know us naturally. And I remember just, you know, we, it's not scripted. Pastor James, you know, he would always get comments about he's getting fat, stuff like that, or what he's wearing, you know? Pastor Paul, you know, he's fake lacoste, but it's real, you know? <laughs> and my, I myself, it's also a victim. No, I'm a victor. <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a recipient. I'm not going to say I'm a victim. I'm a recipient of those unsolicited advice. And remember, I love outdoors. I like going to the beach. I'm, I like going to the swimming pool, stuff like that. So my wife and I, when we go on vacation, like I really like you know, spending time under the sun, you know, sunbathing, and then go back, yeah, the life without kids. <laughs> So we would arrive Saturday and then Sunday, you know, it's a grind, it's church day. And then one tita just approached me lovingly. And it's like, Uy, nagtan ka. Oh, you had a tan, ah. And then, you know, I had gone through inner healing and counseling, so I'm not defensive. So I just kind of wait. Yeah, looks good. But not too much. She said that. It's like, looks good, but not too much. Just this morning. No, not this morning. Like, another one. So, just this morning, you know, this is my second time preaching here in our English services. So, I want to 
try to look good, look decent. So I bought this shirt from Shopee for 150. You can scan it and then you can see it from Shopee, legit. I'm not kidding. I tried it to Pastor James' shirt last Sunday and it showed. So anyway, uh, I felt like I, my wife said I looked good this morning and then I came here and one of our love, loving staff members said, oh, that shirt looks good. You look like a Fuji apple. You know that cover, the apple? Kala nyo, hindi kami na-offend eh, no? So, I just surrendered that. It's hard because I tried my best. But if you have, like, you know, like, shirts, you can give it to me, Joe. I'm just kidding. But those things, right? And when I, when, I, when I became a Christian back in 2012, I was a baby Christian. I was a spoiled Christian. I was a consumer back then. And I failed to recognize all the time. I recognized the wrong things. I recognized things in the wrong manner, in the wrong time. You know, I always complain in the church that, you know, I have a dry season because the church is not teaching well. The preaching is not deep enough. You know? I'm not good with my life because my small group leader is not good. It's not facilitating well. You know? I didn't encounter Jesus this morning because my worship leader is not there. They didn't play my favorite um, reckless love song. <laughs> they didn't sing any song from Kim Walker Smith. She's my favorite. And you know, my heart is not good this time because the church didn't have an equipping course, didn't have a grow course for this one, right? Do you guys agree with me? And there are times we always project our shortcoming to the church, right? We always complain about the church. We always complain about the, the regions of the pastor. That's why I didn't get to focus on the word. I was like that. I was like that. I'm not good in my relationship with God. It's always roller coaster ride because I always based off who's preaching, what's the preaching about, what's the worship song. And to be honest, it's still happening today. Like, we became too comfortable in church that we became a consumer. If you're a consumer, you're in the grocery or if you're in the store, you always look at the bad things. Oh, they should have put this, right? Oh, they should have done that. Oh, the sales should have done that. But what, based on my experience is, I failed to see my responsibility. Come on, shake the person next to you and say, my responsibility. I failed to recognize that I also have shortcomings, right? I'm not saying don't, you know, don't have comments on the leadership, on the church, if it's for the good, right? But what I'm saying is we have to assess first. We have to recognize first. We have to say, There's, is there something wrong with me? Do I partake in this, right? In my dry season, when I'm not encountering God, what am I not doing, Right? Am I reading my Bible? Am I spending time with Jesus? And that's been my life, my Christian life, the past 10 years. But here's one thing that I want you to remember. There's only, if there's only one thing that you want to remember from this preaching, is your relationship with God is your own responsibility. Louder. Your relationship with God is your main responsibility. The church... The grow classes, the small group, it's just cherry on top of a cake, of an ice cream, of a banana split, right? 
But it's our main every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. That's your responsibility. That's our responsibility. In preaching like this, it's just like, you know, cherry on top. And it's like, oh, okay, it's a good addition. I can, I can actually live with this. But we have to be responsible with our own relationship with God. That's why it's called relation, our personal relationship with God, not a corporate relationship with God. But another problem that we have in recognizing, uh, recognizing our own sin is sometimes as a society, we swing on the other extreme, right? Do, do, do you guys have the, those moments when you feel like, oh, when I call my wife, like, babe, am I fat? And it's like, hey, Joe. And it's like, oh, I'm fat! And it's like, no! But as a society, we have a problem seeing, uh, like the North Pole and the South Pole, like we don't have in between, right? And I think it's the same thing with, with our sin. Number one, we either swing, just like the Pharisees, right? Like when we recognize sin, we view it in a religious spirit. We view it in a religious spirit like just the Pharisees, right? Like we are judgmental right away without love, without conviction, without discernment. We just tell you, she's a sinner. That person's a sinner. That person's a whole dapper because she's wearing this mask. And when I was, I was not a Christian, I am living with the religious spirit. Like, you know, I call born-again Christian, alive, alive. And holy, holy. And praise the Lord. And the hallelujahs. I call them that because from afar, I don't know about what they're experiencing. I don't know what they're actually encountering. But I can see it from afar that I have a religious spirit of thinking, oh, those guys are crazy. Those sounds are loud. Those things are, like, you know, out of this world. I can't do that. And we become judgmental in our family, in our friends, the people we don't know, you know, any keyboard warriors in the house, don't be shy. And number two, we swing from being a religious spirit and having a judgmental spirit to another side, which is watering down the truth. Watering down the truth. What does it mean? It's when we normalize sin. Right? When we normalize sin. On this extreme, you're a sinner, black and white, da-da-da-da-da. But this one, in our society, where there's so many opinions, where there's so many things like, that are, that are just bugging her head. Like, is this, is this thing sin? You know, if I smoke, but I didn't finish it, is that a sin? You know, because we just had a, a real talk um, conversation with Pastor James last Thursday. And some of the questions are absurd, right? Like, they're asking, is marijuana, if marijuana would be legal, is it still a sin? Well, that's one of the questions. And the great answer from Pastor James is, you know, it's not a sin per se, but when you rely on substances, not just marijuana, and you're not getting this, your, not, you're not getting your pleasure and your, from, your natural, from your number one source, which is Jesus, then that's disobedience, right? And we normalize this. We go with the flow. You know, we don't want to offend anyone, so we just go with the flow. Oh, it's okay. Do that. And I realize that there's COVID pandemics is over, right? Praise Jesus, amen? But I think we have a new pandemic that we actually don't realize. 
And excuse me for all the parents that are here with kids. I mean, just need to explain to them. But the new pandemic right now is a pandemic with porn. Can I just talk about porn for a minute? Is that okay? Everyone? Is that okay? Yeah, I think it's a new pandemic right now. And I'm speaking not out of a, an authority that I've never watched porn. But it's just unfortunate that at the age of seven years old, I was already exposed with those graphic materials. And it's sad. Like, honestly, when I was writing this sermon, I was just kind of like geared up because my parents didn't give it to me. I was just that curious boy who would just go through the DVDs and just put it in and then watch it when no one's around my house, our house. And it's kind of scared me, scarred me. Not just when I was seven years old, but I started with one material, led to another one. When I was a teenager, when I was an adult, and when I was like early years of our marriage even. And in 2018, this is a data that 109 billion views just in 2018 were watched on this website. Certain website, I say it again, 109 billion views. That's over 14 videos watched for every person on the planet. And I want to leave this place with a conviction and just even realizing that this thing is actually affecting us. Like, I have this thought when I was younger, as long as I'm not stepping on somebody else's toe because I'm watching it from home, you know, I'm not harming anyone, this should be good, right? You know, I'm not actually doing it. I'm not doing premarital sex, so it should be good, right? Good Lord, right? You know, covering your... There are real-life effects of this thing. And I know I'm not gonna... I'm not gonna shame you because I've battled with this in the past 25 years of my life. There are effects. It's addiction, you know. And there are, unfortunately and sadly, so many... So ba- this is based on research that many abuse, sexual abuse and rape were actually directly correlated with this, with this graphic material. You know, it's like, it's like drug, right? Like you wanted one, and then now the next time, one drug is not enough, right? Yeah. So you want to consume more and more and more and more and more, and then now you'd see, you look behind, your relationship are being affected. Your marriage is being affected. Your parenting is being affected. And I hope you're hearing me from a heart of, Love, a heart of love, not, not judgmental, not judgment, not condemnation, because this thing, we can pass this on to our kids. This is a generational curse that could be passed on if it doesn't stop right now. If it doesn't stop right now. And this is not just a problem of men. It's also a problem of women. This is not just a problem of adults. It's also a problem of teenage, teenagers because of the increasing accessibility of this graphic content, it's a pandemic right now. And you know, research says that it starts with one video. So if that's you, you're sitting here and it's like, I've never watched, I've never watched anything. Like I tell you, you're in a good place and keep doing that. Because when we consume these things, we're actually escaping from something. We're actually escaping from the reality, the reality of pain, 
the reality of discomfort, the reality of stress, the reality of anxiety and depression. And it all go, boils, go, boils back down to brokenness. We need a savior. We need someone who can run back to when we're stressed. We can, we, we can run back to when we are lonely. Do you guys, are you guys hearing me? We have to recognize our own sin. And I love that it says here that repentance, right? Recognizing our own sin will lead to repentance, genuine repentance. And what is repentance? Because those are one of the things when I was a new Christian, I didn't know what repentance is. But repentance is, this is from the dictionary, to feel sorrow for one's sin and make up one's mind to do what is right. It's not just saying sorry. Like, sorry, I've sinned. Sorry, I've done that. And you're going to do it again because you don't have a personal conviction about these things. But when you repent, just like this woman, God, I'm going to give you everything. God, I'm going to give you all my investments, all, all my exp- expensive perfume. I'm going to cry. I'm going to kneel. I'm going to use my hair. And that's a beautiful picture of surrender. So now, what do we do? What do we do? And by the way, like, like those graphic contents, it's just one of the many things that we normalize in our society. We normalize identity. We normalize different things. We normalize like not getting married, you know, and you're okay without, without a, it's just a piece of paper, you know? It's just a piece of paper. Like we have those things in our society now, right? But as Christians, right, we need to take a stand. We need to take a stand. And we have to say, enough is enough. And I'm going to stand not just for you, but for your future kids. Amen? So but what do we do? We go back to Jesus. It says here in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You're not alone. You're not alone. You're not alone. This church in a church for imperfect people. And that's intentional because we know that we, are, we, we, are, we all fall short. The glory of God. And we go back to Jesus all the time. Hey, God, I know I'm not good enough. God, I know I'm not qualified. But because of your grace, of your mercy, I am forgiven. Amen? Amen. We go back to the Bible, right? I think those are one of those things that we normalize. It's okay if I don't read the Bible as long as I'm turning up at church, you know, as long as I'm worshiping, you know, as long as I have this um, Spotify playlist on my um, playing in my house, that should be okay. But no, it says here in the Bible, Psalms 119.105, your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And I, I always operate in that, like, ah, reading the Bible is just a chore. Ah, I have to do it because it's a requirement to be a leader. Ah! Yeah, there's moments, right? Like, parang, oh, like if you're not reading your Bible, like people would, would mock you. Oh, you're not reading the Bible. You're not doing the soap method. But no, like we have to understand because again, go back. It's our responsibility, right? So we go back to the Bible. We go back to the Holy Spirit because it is our compass. It is our authenticator if things are right or wrong. Amen? So we go back to Jesus in the balance. Like, that story in the Bible, with the verse 47. So I tell you this, her many sins have been forgiven. She has shown that she understands this by her great acts of love. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And in some other stories, God said, and sin no more, right? 
there's this repentance, there's this change happening within that person and that actually le- le- uh, left her changed forever. My question here right now is what are the sins in our life that we need to recognize? Don't look to the person next to you. Don't look at your wife. But ask yourself, what are the sins in my life right now that I need to recognize? We must recognize our sin and turn to Jesus for redemption. Amen? Point number two, are you guys with me? Point number two is this. Full surrender leads to an expensive perfume. Full surrender leads to an expensive perfume. Luke chapter 7, 38 and 44 says here, She knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet and she wiped them off with her hair. She kept kissing his feet and putting perfume off them. It's a beautiful picture of surrender. I don't know about you, but when I was reading this, I was just like, God, have I surrendered everything to you? God, every side of me, every piece of me, God, every area of my life. How does surrender look like for us? Can you ask yourself right now, how does surrender look like for me? Is it just beats and pieces? Just a portion? Maybe just the air, just the easy area? Now, ask yourself, real talk for this time. And I remember when partial surrender happened because my mom, she... She raised us the best way she could, you know. And we were really struggling financially when we were younger, like really struggling financially. And we had to pay the bills. We had to go to school. We had to have food on the table. And then so her last resort is to borrow money. And she borrowed money from one of the biggest lending companies. It's called Five Six. (laughs) And then so the... Yeah, it's a lending company. It's called Five Six. No, legit. That's I'm not trying to be derogatory here, but it's called Five Six in in Bulacan. And then so motorcycle. The guy in motorcycle went to our house and knocked our gate, and then asked like, "Is your mom there?" You know. And then I was speaking by the window. Legit, I was speaking by the window. And then I realized that this is not a normal, you know, visitor. And then we don't have any non-Filipino friends. So I went back to my mom, like, hey, there's this person. And then my mom said, tell him I'm not here. <laughs> I wish I'm joking. And then I peeked back at the window, wala daw po siya dito. <laughs> She's not here daw po. And then, like, the, the, the guy is just kind of like, okay. And then, but she told, he told me that, hey, your mom owes this, like, she needs to pay, blah, blah, blah. And so I went back to my mom, and it's like, mom, they need the payment, blah, blah, blah. And then my mom whispered this. Just give them the ref. Just the ref. Because, you know, and if you don't know the, uh, the lending industry, like, you have to have collateral damages, right? Like, you have those collateral materials. So, anyway, so just give them the ref. So I peeked back and then said, yung ref na lang daw po. <laughs> Just the ref. And then we kinda, he kind of knows that it happens, no? That my mom is like hiding behind me. And then so I opened the gate and then I was pretty sad. It was just a core, like a bad core memory. So I pulled out my ice candy that I made and all the yellow that I made for two pesos. And then they just kind of pulled out the, the ref and it's gone, you know, in, in our street. Refrigerator is a social symbol, a status symbol. If you have a ref, hey, we can sell ice. 
we can sell ice candy. You got ice candy, bro? <laughs> you know, like, oh, your water is cold. You must, you must have a refrigerator at home. Yes, we do, but just yesterday, they just pulled it up. <laughs> but that's a picture of sometimes we surrender things, but not all things. We don't want to face the reality when you surrender. There's actually a responsibility within yourself that you're actually partnering with God, that you're actually partnering with these things, and that doesn't mean you can choose just, maybe just my finance, maybe just this, maybe not this, Lord, right? Maybe just this ref, maybe this area of my life, God. Maybe just, just this finance, this area of my struggle, maybe not this pleasure, Lord. Please, not this vices, not this addiction, God, not this toxic relationship. But we can learn from the story here in the woman that she gave surrender everything that she has. That alabaster jar is not just a simple jar. It represents all that she has, all the worth that she has, all the money that she has. And says there, right, it's true and proper worship. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, this is your true and proper worship. If we surrender, are we surrendering everything? If we obey, are we obeying partially? You know, I've learned this early on in my life that delayed obedience is also disobedient. But I also, understand, I also believe that Partial obedience is also disobedience. And if we surrender, hello? Kanina pa yan, Maybe they're, you know, they're asking for the payment. And it's okay. Face the reality. Hey, I owe you, but I can't pay right now. Can we do terms? That's how I would advise my mom to do it. But if we surrender, some of us, sometimes if we surrender everything, like we actually demand or want God to reward us. Amen? God, I gave up so much. God, I sacrificed so much. God, I offered my life to the ministry. God, I offered all my money to the church. God, where's my blessing? Where's my blessing, Lord? Where's the answer in my prayer request, Lord? But Jesus said to his disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. But I think in our world, it's kind of reverse. You have to follow me, right? How many followers do I have? Celebrating 3 million. (laughs) But here, if we know that we are real followers of Christ, that we are the disciples, we have to deny ourselves. We have to take up our cross every day and follow Him. And follow Him. Deny yourself. Deny the pleasures. Deny our sinful nature. And take up that cross. And my wife is here. And I remember, yeah, my wife's here. She's the most beautiful person I know. The smartest, the strongest, the funniest. If you think I'm funny, she's funny. So... Basically, long story short, before we got married, we were only dating, engaged for 10 months. 
which is not advisable, because I'm gonna tell you why. Because <laughs> we have different personalities. I'm normally the serious one, you know, the, the very reserved one, you know. I like things, to, uh, you know, I like talking seriously, you know, and she's like, like the very jolly, over-the-top person. <laughs> no, it's the other way around. And our first two years when we got married, in the middle of pandemic, like was, two years was spent in lockdown, in pandemic, and I'm gonna get very vulnerable this time that we, was, we struggled a lot. We struggled a lot in our marriage, and not everybody know, knew about our, our story. Like, the trusted people that we know, you know, our pastors, our leaders actually know, and I wish I could be the husband that would tell you in this platform that I've never, never thought of leaving. But I did. You know, we, we were fighting, we were arguing all the time, trying to be funny, but it would ended up to be a fight. It's like, <laughs> babe, knock, knock. Knock, knock, walang door. <laughs> we have to deny ourselves and take up my cross every day and follow Jesus in our marriage. And of ourselves. Using our, the first two years, we, we used our own strength, you know, we tried to fix it on our own. But the moment that we know that we have to fully surrender this, this marriage to Jesus, to God, that became our expensive perfume. That became our offering. And I don't know if there are married couples here struggling in your marriage, whether you realize it or not. You're not alone. We have a church community like this that would support you. You just need to shed light to your darkness. Shed light to the struggle that you're going through because just like me, I'm privileged and honored to be to having leaders, you know, that I could open up, that I could share our struggles in our marriage. We can't fix our marriage on our own, but we have to surrender. So my question today, not just for the married people, but the single people, the engaged, the dating, what are the things that we need to surrender? What are the things that we need to surrender? Right? So you can see that we have to recognize our sin, but it doesn't end there. But there's actually surrender. We should surrender all that we have to Jesus in worship, recognizing that he is worthy. Amen? Amen. So full surrender leads to an expensive perfume. And the third thing that I've learn from this story is this. Repentance plus surrender plus worship lead to experiencing God's transformative power. I want to read again because I'm not sure if everyone understands that repentance, surrender, worship lead to, an exper to experiencing God's transformative power. And I don't want this verse, uh, this point to be a, a point or a speech, or my sister, how we call it, motivational speech, to be a word that would go from your right ear and then go out to your left ear. I want this point to be an active point where we participate. Because you and me and us, we're not consumers here. You're here for a reason. And I know that it's not an accident that God has put you in this very time, whether it's your first time or you've been coming here for a long time. God has appointed, orchestrated this time. Jesus declares the woman forgiven. 
and at peace because of her faith. Our faith in Jesus and surrendering all to Him brings about transformation and restoration in our lives. And when I ended to share the story about Tita Malu, she was just here earlier on in front and you probably watched his uh, legacy testimony. And I asked her to share my, her testimony and send it to me. And she's a person that is standing right here, right now, feeling, feeling so, so much joy, so much freedom, you know. Glory to God. She said here, in her 20s, she's a, she was a substance abuser. She was sentenced to life imprisonment, met Christ inside the jail. And she said this, I was not really ready for anything that God would call me inside the jail. I just surrendered to God's direction. Had to learn to play the keyboard and lead the music team. Was also assigned to be the church treasurer. Had to look for projects of the church so the medical dental missions could happen, livelihood could happen inside the jail. And because of that, my love for my co-inmates and officials taking good care of us have grown so deep. 23 years later, just last year, she was released. She's now in her season years doing Favor College. <laughs> Repentance, surrender, worship would lead to experiencing God's transformative power. We need more stories like Tita Malu. We need more stories like Tita Malu who just so happened to experience and recognizing her sin that leads her, that led her to repentance and to surrender everything that she had and worship Jesus and led to experiencing God's transformative power within her, within the people around her, within the community that God has given her, within even outside the jail. She's doing those things. And now God is using her in the same jail for them to experience God's transformative power. And that's what I'm believing for today, that we would experience God's transformative power, whatever area you're struggling in, whatever area in your marriage, whatever area in your business, whatever area in your personal life that you need to surrender. I pray right now, Lord, that you would give us the strength, that you would give us the power, God, that we are not going to operate out of fear, God, but out of love, Lord God, out of an overflow of our relationship with you, Lord. Colossians 1, 13 to 14, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves and whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And I love that. That's a beautiful picture that as we surrender, God's never going to leave us. We're never going to be in lack because He's redeeming us. And if you're here, I want to take this opportunity to, maybe you've been hearing about repentance, you know, recognizing our sin and surrender, but you don't have a relationship with God. Can I ask everybody to close your eyes, bow your head right now? And if that's you, if, I, if you know that I'm talking to you, that you don't have an active relationship with God, that 
you're living in sin, that you need a Savior to actually break that cycle, that break that chain that you're experiencing right now. We have a Savior who died on that cross for you and for me. So if that's you, could you raise your hand on the count of three? Because I know, I want to know who I'm praying for. One, two, three. Come on, raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift up your hands. We're not in a rush. This hand, we have a hand, hand right here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you, raise your hand. Can you put your hand to your heart right now? And as one family, we're going to pray. Lord, thank you that you love me. Come on, repeat after me. Lord, thank you that you love me. I admit that I'm a sinner. But I, I, I know and I believe that you die for me and for my sins. But you rose again after three days. Lord, I accept you as my Lord, my King, my Savior, my best friend. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, can we give God a shout of praise for all the people who accepted Him as His personal Lord and Savior? It's not the end of your journey, it's just the start of your journey.